The way I look at it is, it's all a learning lesson. Anything that's a pain in the ass is once you identify it, you also identify the opportunity, right? Because here's the thing. The, th the thing that's a pain in the ass, thing that's a pain in the ass about wholesaling, rehabbing, new builds, whatever. The thing that's a pain in the ass for you is probably a pain in the ass for others, but then you just found the opportunity. You just found an opportunity to make the business more efficient. You just found a thing to do better than anybody else. Welcome to Take Action Entrepreneurs Podcast where we interview entrepreneurs who took action and got to the top of their industry. And on this podcast, we share with you exactly how they did it. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Vernon Vaughn here with us, and he is a huge developer, a home builder, and investor in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. He has been in business for over 15 years now and has done over millions of dollars worth of development deals. He's also the owner of Infill 101, where he teaches his students how to do their first development project. Awesome work. So thank you, Vernon, for being here with us. Um, just want to let everybody know we have a questionnaire that we did on Instagram, and we're going to go ahead and answer everybody's question towards the end. So make sure you stay tuned till the end. Well, let's get right into it, man. Thank you so much for being here. Right. Happy to be here, fellas. Very happy to be here, man. Yeah, man. So what, what made you want to get into to real estate? And more specifically, what made you want to get into development? Uh, you know, for real estate, I saw the ability to, uh, to make money. I mean, just just to keep it honest, man, I saw I saw the profit potential uh, in real estate. One thing I loved about real estate is is you can do it so many different ways, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Some guys are super fancy, suit every day, name on the side of the building. Other guys don't even have business cards and just wear jeans and, and t-shirts. Um, but the great thing I love about real estate is you can do it. You can do it any any way you want to, and in so many fields and occupations, you can't. Right. And so that's the thing I love about real estate. Right. Is it gives you that flexibility and that freedom. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I, I believe it, man. I, I love coming into the office and wearing sneakers if I want to or coming in a button up if I want to. There you go, man. My outfit is, is, is sweatpants and Air Max, man. Yeah, that's what's yeah. up. So why did you choose development over uh, fix and flips? So um, it's not that I chose it over fix and flips because I, I still do fix and flips uh, to oh, this okay. day, still wholesales. Um, oh, wow. Everything. So so one thing is is I never, um, and I always, I always tell people you don't have to, when it comes to real estate investing, you don't have to label yourself as as anything, right? Right. I mean, you can if you want to, but you don't don't feel forced into one box or another. Always do what works for you at the time that it works for you. One thing that led me to to new build development was that I saw how competitive the market was getting again. Like, I've been in this business since 2003. <laughs> so I've been through a full cycle, right? I went through 08, 09, 10, whatever. And I was in the business during a run-up to it. So I saw margins getting, I saw people doing very difficult deals with slim margins. And I was like, well, man, I'm not doing that again because I saw how that movie ended. Um, and so instead of fighting for the same houses that everybody was fighting for, um, I was like, look, man, let me find a pond that everybody isn't fishing from. And for me, that was that that's was awesome. that's a good way that to was it. infield development. It was mm -hmm. I, people fighting over houses and driving right past a super profitable piece of dirt. And mm -hmm. so I just saw the opportunity there. And you jumped right to it. So jumped. you started off wholesaling. 
So first, very first deal I ever did was a lease option. A lease option deal in Capitol Heights, Maryland. One deal then jumped right into wholesaling and rehabbing like almost at the same time. Uh, have done buying holds along the way. Um, great, you know, mortgage and foreclosure meltdown of 08. Um, kind of survived by wholesaling because at that time it was some great deals out there, but funding had dried up. And mm. so it was like, okay. it was stuff I wholesale that I should have never, ever wholesaled. I got to say that. I got <laughs> to say that. It's the only thing that keeps me up at night. Okay. Right? It's, I'm talking about houses in Prince George's County for, you know, one, one house I wholesaled was a house and an accessory dwelling unit. Mm -hmm. I think I wholesaled it for like 50K. Right. Oh my goodness. Should have never ever. Oh, but, so you but, can't. But that doesn't let you sleep at night. The nah, fact but, that you. But guess uh, what? Mm -hmm. Wasn't no funding for it for me at the time. Oh. So okay. I, so it was either wholesale it or miss out on it. Right. right. But um yeah man but but it was um but but yeah I've I've kind of you know and, and to this day like I said I still kind of do do all of them. So I never say, all right, this is the thing I'm doing and I'm only doing this. Mm -hmm. It's, I kind of look at it as, you know, it's something else to add to your, to your toolkit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. And so has, has all your deals always been primarily in the PG County area? By the way, are you from PG County, Maryland? So, so born in DC, raised in, raised in Prince George's County, awesome. lifelong Prince George's County. Okay. All of my deals have been in Washington, you know, in a PG County, DC, Northern Virginia. So in a DMV, in a greater Baltimore area. Um, I have done one out-of-state deal. Um, and uh, back, I get, back in 07, I did a condo conversion project in Jersey City. Mm -hmm. uh, but besides that, man, I've, I'm like, look, man, it's, I know this area like the back of my hand. Right. I'd be, I, you know, like, dude, double down on that. Right? Double, down, double down on that. Awesome, man. Yep. I love it. So when did you come across your first development deal? Uh, first development deal was done back in 2016 in Laurel, Maryland. That was our first infill development project. Okay. It was a learning lesson, man. So what, what, did, you learn, what did you learn from your first uh, development project? Uh, so, so learn that on, on any project, whether it's rehab, new build, even getting a rental ready for a tenant, you know, time is money. The best way to mess up a good deal is to take too long. Right. I, don't care, I don't care if the market's going up. Mm -hmm. I don't care if the market is, is increasing. It's going to cost you. Yeah. Either real money or opportunity costs. Mm. So I learned that that every project, you know, time time can be your enemy, right? Speed kills, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you can use it to kill, or it can kill you. Lack of speed <laughs> can kill you all day long. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That sounds real scary, man. But besides time killing a deal, have you had any other scares that come with developing? Have you? Do you have any horror stories? And what's your worst one? Dude, the way I look at it is, it's all a learning lesson. Yeah. And so the way I look at anything that's a pain in the ass mm -hmm. is once you identify it, you also identify the opportunity. Right. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing. The, th the thing that's a pain in the ass, thing that's a pain in the ass about wholesaling, rehabbing, new builds, whatever. The thing that's a pain in the ass for you is probably a pain in the ass for others. Mm -hmm. But then you just found the opportunity. You just found an opportunity. Yeah to make the business more efficient. You just found a thing to do better than anybody else is doing. Right, right. Um, but in, in, ter in, terms of, in terms of horror stories, mm. um, you know, we've had properties where we've had, you know, um, you know one, one thing about new builds is that, so on, let's take, for instance, the scenario of a rehab. 
Typically, you're on a rehab, you sell it, you're done, right? Mm -hmm. On a new build, as builders, we have parts of the house that we have to warranty. So, you got to build it to not break, not just today and not just surviving through settlement, but after settlement. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. And so that teaches you, like, all right, that teaches you don't cut any corners, don't mm. build stuff that you even think will break. Because you're still liable for whatever happens. How, how many uh, years are you liable for that development? It, de it depends. It's, it's parts of it where you've got kind of um, uh, uh, workmanship and materials that are like five years. There are larger parts of the house structural that may be 10 years. In the business, you've got warranty companies, right? Built, mm -hmm. And not, not homeowner warranty companies, but builder warranty companies. Mm -hmm. And they act like almost like an insurance company. Okay. So they say, okay, hey, we'll warranty this, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll be the underwriter of it. Um, and we'll hold the builder to do certain parts of the warranty. Mm -hmm. um, but if the builder doesn't, we have to agree to step in and, and take care of it. Is that only like in this in this market in the Maryland market or is so it it's in, so it so it's definitely in the state of Maryland and I would hope that other states have that builder warranty mm -hmm. protection in place. So like, like in the state of Maryland, there's a list of approved warranty companies mm -hmm. that before you get a builder's license, you have to be signed up for, and that's and that's and, you know and once again that's to protect the consumer uh, because if that protection isn't there. And you saying like, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Builder, we're going to take your word that you're going to be around in 10 years mm -hmm. to warranty this house. That's that's rolling the dice. Right. So you got to have these companies that are going to be around that even if the builder doesn't do what they're supposed to do, the consumer is still mm -hmm. covered. So, nice. so let's go back to when you said you got your first deal in 2016, correct? Mm -hmm. Take us back a little bit, for especially because I want the people who are watching this right now and that want to do their first development project, right? You know, take us back a little bit about you know what was going through your head when you said, okay, I'm gonna buy this piece of dirt and I'm gonna just build a house. That's a good question. I, I asked myself that thing. I'm gonna talk about the origin story. So <laughs> once again, so okay, I just you know we we decided that okay, it's probably an opportunity here with with building there, right? Because mm -hmm. I wasn't. I had been in the business at that point, you know. 13, 14 years. And even new builds kind of kind of intimidated me. Mm -hmm. right? I looked at it and was like, man, I saw all the things that could go wrong. Right. And so I had to be like, well, look, all right, look, if you're experienced and it, if it intimidates you, then you know on the other side of that intimidation is an opportunity. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's, it's a barrier to entry, but it's a barrier to entry that you can overcome. So, right. So the bigger so, the risk, the bigger the rewards. Exactly. I don't, I don't consider I take a lot of risk. Like, I honestly, look, I gravitate towards deals that are idiot-proof. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I'm smart, but I ain't the smartest <laughs> dude on the planet, right? I'm not without my fault. So I don't look for stuff where everything has to go right to make money. Okay. I look for deals that are literally idiot-proof. And you find those by finding stuff that nobody else wants to deal with. Mm -hmm. And you identify the issues and you, you, you solve the issues and, and you got an opportunity. But, um, you know, so we kind of saw, saw that, you know, look. There's an opportunity here with this new building stuff. I spent the better part of about a year and a half trying to learn the business, mm -hmm. right? Seeked out some, 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 some mentors, mm -hmm. a tribe of mentors, got some great advice. Um, and at the time, were you, what were you doing at the moment? Still, still doing rehabs. Okay. Still doing rehabs. And they, I remember there were two projects back to back that made me say, okay, you got this. It mm. was one rehab project 
we did where it was a fire damaged house in Waldorf, Maryland. So complete that. Complete gut. And that gave you the where confidence. we did where we did a lot where we did almost everything except for the foundation, right? The wow. very next project was a house where we had to rebuild the foundation section by section. Mm. So, so between, so between those two projects, we had built a house. So mm. I was like, it's, it's time to build a house. That is awesome. Time to build a house. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, we, uh, our first deal we found sitting on the MLS. And listen, in my life, I haven't bought, I have not purchased a lot of great deals on the MLS, right? I yeah. just okay. haven't. I, I, I can't find them usually, right? <laughs> So we found some land on the MLS. It had been sitting there already for like 30-something days. And I was like, I was like, on paper, it's a good deal. But I'm like, but it's been on the MLS for 30 days. Like, who, mm -hmm. who lets a good deal sit on the MLS for 30 days, mm -hmm. right? You right. know, meanwhile, for houses, people are like paying above ask, even when they shouldn't be. And I'm like, this is a good deal on paper, but why is it still available? And that would be... And that would be something that I kept thinking it would, it, that thought would often come back to me down the road as I progressed. And it, once again, that was something that made me think like, all right, dude, this opportunity, because you've got stuff that, you know, like you can source great deals off the MLS. I'm like, man, with houses, not saying you can't do it, but like you got to have a hell of a, you got to offer on everything, follow up on everything, mm -hmm. you know. And, and for land, I mean, that was kind of one of the first things that let me know, like, all right, it's, it's some opportunity here. Um, mm -hmm. And so the first one, you know, we um, found it on, on the MLS in Laurel, Maryland. Um, you know, uh, hired, you know, you know, did the due diligence on it, hired an architect to come up with a plan, built a beautiful house. Um, it took way longer than we were supposed to. I think almost twice as long as we're supposed to, but it was just parts of the process that, you know, we kind of had a roadmap, we kind of had a, a, a workflow, but some stuff you just aren't going to know until you deal with it the first time. So mm -hmm. the first so the first one, I always say that was our freshman year as a builder. As far as um, fix and flips, we all know we go to hard money lender, private money lender. Um, how did you fund the first um, development deal? So very first uh, infield development deal was funded uh, partially in cash uh, and partially using a uh, private money lender's uh, self-directed okay. IRA. Okay. Yep. And they, mean, they look at the deal too and make sure that everything was. Yeah. And in in the same way, you know, we source flip. I mean, we, we, we fund flips. I mean, you've got what you call your capital stack, mm -hmm. your, your cash on hand, your private lenders, your hard money. Right. Equity partners and or bank financing. Okay. You know? So, so that first development project, I, I feel like a lot of people that don't understand development, they might wonder. Uh, how, can you get financing for the lot or do you have to buy that cash? So the answer is yes and yes. So it just, it, so as with anything, it depends on how bankable you are, how credible you are, mm -hmm. what access to capital you have, right? Right. I mean, there are some things, you know, if I went to a lender, they wouldn't finance. And if somebody else went to a lender and tried to finance the same project, they'd be like, sure. So it just depends on how, how credible you are. Um, some people may struggle finding private capital. Other people have people like saying, please take my, you know, please, you know, <laughs> let me write you a check. Yeah. Ultimately, everything I always say kind of starts with a, with a pro forma, which is a fancy word for project project. I mean, for, for profit projection, right? Okay. It starts there. Like even, even before you mention to anybody else, you need to make sure on paper it makes money. And okay. when I say that, it's like, all right, 
you know, if we're talking a, a rehab, somebody might say, I pay 70% of ARV, 75% of ARV minus rehab. Mm-hmm. Cool. And that gets you out of bed. That gets you to look at the deal. And that may even get you to put it under contract. But you better have a, a spreadsheet where you plug in numbers. You plug in your cost of capital. You plug in how long it'll take. You plug in your, you know, your, your, your rehab value. I mean, your, your, your rehab cost or your new bill cost and, mm-hmm. your, and your sale price. And you see what it looks like on the bottom line. So it has, so make sure it makes sense to you before you go and try to sell it to anybody else, else. Before you try to sell it to your partners, private lenders, hard money, or banks. Make sure you got that first. Gotcha. And, that, mm-hmm. and like I said, and, and when those and when those numbers work out, you know, if you've got a profitable deal, you'll you'll find the capital, right? Right. You'll right. find the capital. You will absolutely find the capital if you've got a profitable deal and a, and a good track record. Right, right. Good track record. And when and when you don't have a if you're newer in the business and you don't have a track record, look for a partner. Look for a partner, man. Yeah. It's it's better to have a piece of a deal that's gonna make you capital and build a track record than to be like, Oh, guess I can't do it. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely right. right yeah. Right. People being greedy is just are never gonna win. It's they're not man. It's all they're about not. partnering, collaboration over competition. I'm a big believer in that. How did you find that first development deal? So that first one was was on the MLS, and a lot of the a lot of the lot deals, infield development deals we have done, we've been able to source on the MLS. As shocking as it is, we've been able to source them on the MLS. A lot of times with no with with almost no competition. Like two so weeks ago. So you're telling ago, me that the lots that you're finding infill lots. Some right. of them are Some of them. MLS. We, we still do we still do direct to seller, but okay. we can still source on oh, the MLS. Like wow, I've been I've been building since sixteen. About two weeks ago, for the first time, and what's this? What five five years? First time in five years, I made an offer on a lot, and somebody else got it. Oh, okay. Other than that. I've been able to to grab a hundred percent of the on market lots I offer at at a price that makes sense. I have not okay. overpaid for a lot yet. What's the percentages that you're looking at um, when it comes to buying these lots on the MLS? So off market, on market doesn't matter. Okay. Typically, I'm somewhere around fifteen percent of the after bill value. Fancy way of saying after pair value, about fifteen percent of that. So new bills on average. So yep. you look at the new builds in the area. Or, right, some some cases, you know, some cases I'll, I'll look at rehabbed comps or comps in very good condition oh, okay. that are going to be within 15 to 20% of what I plan on building. Mm. Oh, okay. Yep. That's because, a good way. So, yeah. so one thing, you know, one thing as a, as a, in my development business, I focus on infill development. Infill development specifically is building in areas that are already 90% built up. Think Mm -hmm. like 80 to 90% built up. So by default, you're not necessarily gonna find a lot of new construction comps. Mm -hmm. You will find some, you'll find some other infill builders, but sometimes you're gonna need to refer to uh, a rehab property or probably Mm -hmm. some very good condition. Right. Yep. So I have a good question for you. Let's just say um, properties are somewhere around 300,000 you want to be, you're the first one with a new build there. Mm-hmm. What would you do? Like, would you actually put it up for $100,000 more? Um, how do you come up with the calculations of what you're going to 
put it up on the market for right. you. So I probably wouldn't be the first one there to do a new build. Uh, once again, so I like, I like idiot-proof deals. Okay. I like proof of concept. Okay. Oh, right, right. right. So I like, I like to see that um, there's a demand for the finished product. But mm -hmm. let's, say, let's say I've identified this as a hot area, and let's say it's 99% built up. So let's just say it's one lot in town, and I got it. And it's like, okay, okay there are no new builds at all, right? right. And after I build right. this one, there ain't going to be no more until Some more land becomes available. Right. I'm going to take a look at the comps on existing homes, rehab stuff, stuff that's in good condition. Okay. Yep. Um, and some, sometimes there's a, you know, sometimes there's a, a big gap between what a newly built house and what a renovated house, the same size, go for. Sometimes there's a big spread between those two. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes they're, they're, we, they're close. We noticed um, there was a house in, oh, actually, no, that was a rehab. The house in Riverdale, and it looked like a new build, and it was selling for like 500 and ARB in that area. No, around that was three. Rehab. That was a complete rehab. Yeah. But that's like 100 to 200, you know, difference. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I mean, I mean, one, like, they're, so one thing I love about some of the markets I build in mm -hmm. is there are other, other infill developers there that do all the heavy lifting. Like, mm. they, they set crazy high comps. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, see, that's, that so, was, you're so answering I, my question. Yeah, there, yeah, so I don't look at it like, oh, competition. I'm like, man, one day I need to send these dudes a thank you note. Because right. Because they are like, like, they're the like, trendsetters. Yeah, like yeah. they proof. Yeah, they they did proof of concept for me. What do you do, Vernon, when there's no comps in the area for new builds? For new builds, yeah. Because, um, I mean, how do you set that price? Are you the first one to, you know, ARB might be three hundred, and you know you want to put your new build on on the market for like four hundred. That's a hundred thousand dollars over. Right. Well, how, yeah. Tell us about that. So the first first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say like, okay, how come there aren't new bill comps, right? Right. I'm gonna ask, is there demand for the product? Mm -hmm. Now, now maybe it's a case where the neighborhood is 99.99 percent built up, and so mm -hmm. this one lot is the only lot, and I'm about to lock it up. And right, so it's not gonna be any new bill comps because because the only piece of land you could build on, I'm about to buy it. So in that case, I'm gonna just take a look at existing homes that are either rehabbed or in great condition okay. that are within 15 to 20% when it comes to size of what I want to build, right? So I always want to make sure I'm comparing apples to apples. Okay. I'm never going to take a look at a 4,000 square foot house and say that's worth $400,000 and a 200,000, I mean a 2,000 square foot house should be worth 200,000. No, I'm never going to make that assumption. Okay. So I want it to be close in size so I can make an assumption comparing apples to apples. Okay. So I'm going to look at that, but I'm going to look at it where I don't have new construction comps to choose from i'm gonna take a look at existing inventory whether great condition or uh, or fully rehabbed now sometimes you know now in a case where there is where there are new construction comps which i love to see and 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 in a lot of neighborhoods we're in you know we weren't the first to get there like the reason i love these neighborhoods is because somebody else already Prove the concept. Okay. Right? So I mean, the trendsetters. Somebody, somebody already took the risk. Right? Mm -hmm. Once again, I remember I said I like stuff to be idiot-proof. So I like when I go in the neighborhood and I see like, okay, I don't need to be the first there. 
Yeah. Right. Right. I don't need to be the first there. Um, and so when somebody's done a heavy lifting and when they've established the comps, when they've taken the lumps already, mm. you know, and I kind of get to come in and piggyback is a, is a, is a great thing. Uh. And so sometimes it'll be a sometimes it'll be, you know, sometimes it will be a large gap in between a renovated house and a new construction. Sometimes it could be a hundred thousand dollar difference. Some neighborhoods it can be not much of a difference. Mm -hmm. Do you look at how long that new build was on the market? Oh, all the time. That's part okay. of my proof of concept. Okay. All the time. Now, sometimes it can be misleading. So if you're looking at days on market on the MLS, some builders start marketing the property before they've even oh, broken around. So yeah, sometimes, like, you know, sometimes you can't. You can't tell. You post sometimes. Like a so I've noticed that sometimes they sometimes post a like, 3D picture. Sometimes it'll be like 600 days on market. It's like, dude, they put it on market before they ever broke around. So sometimes mm. you can't you can't tell. Okay. Yeah. So what was your initial investment, you know, um, doing your first development project? Uh, so initial, that, like, as far cash as, outlay or, or, or the numbers you, on it? Whatever you got out of your pocket to, to put up for the project. I think on the first, on the first uh, project, uh, we funded lot acquisition. That was like 31K plus the engineering, so the due diligence, the architectural, uh, probably permits. So we're probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about 45 to maybe 50K skin in the game, cash out of pocket on the first deal. And, and a, lot, a lot of our deals we do like that are kind of the same way, mm. where we'll acquire the lot, the land, cash, or mostly cash, mm -hmm. and fund the construction. construction. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's nice. Yep. Yeah. And how long does it typically take a project like project? So typically from when you I would say typically from the day you break ground to when you're selling a finished product, a lot of times it's the better part of eight to nine months um, trying to get the process down. So I know I know some of the big builders from the day they break ground to when they're done a house. Mm -hmm. Some of them are doing it in 14 weeks. Mm. So like so that's the schedule we're trying to get on because once again time is money man right right time is money faster we can turn that you know the the velocity of velocity of capital so faster we can turn it around cuts down on debt service uh once again if you hold any project long enough you're going to have holding costs you're going to have opportunity costs which is real right i mean there there are some 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 phenomenal deals where i we had to pass them up because it's just like dude the pipeline is is full Right. So, so I know a lot of people are wondering, right, because um, you're investing a lot of money and you're investing a lot of time. A lot of people are probably wondering how much, you know, uh, how much profits are you making out of average out of each development project? So on our average new builds, we are probably netting somewhere like 20 to 25 percent net, net, net. Mm -hmm. Okay. Net. And you, you did say that uh, time, time is a big thing with new construction. Okay. So how do you find your contractors that can, you know, get to the point, get to work, and get it done in hopefully in 14 weeks? That's what you said. Right. And we're working towards that. So uh -huh. the best way to find anything, right, whether a contractor, whether an attorney, a title company, is number one, ask other people who are in the okay. business. Yeah. Right? So... Uh, so ask, so ask your colleagues, ask your peers for recommendations. Mm -hmm. um, so ask them who they recommend. Second thing to ask is, have you actually used that person? Because so sometimes somebody will have heard a recommendation from somebody else, and they won't have used them, but they'll mm -hmm. recommend them to somebody else, somebody else. And so sometimes you're like, hey, I heard this guy was good. 
but I've never used it. Mm-hmm. Preferably use somebody that somebody has firsthand experience with, with using. Okay. Um, for new construction, you've got some trades that, that you may have used on rehabs that don't, and those same guys don't translate that great to new construction. Mm-hmm. They, they don't. It's, it's a same, you know, same trade, but some specialized knowledge. Um, one thing we, we have learned and we keep learning, especially on new construction where time is money, is to deal with contractors, uh, especially your, your MEPs, your mechanical, your electrical, your plumbing, people that know the permitting process. Mm-hmm. Thank, because you know infrastructure, you know utilities, water, electric, gas, mm-hmm. those things can hang you up. They can tie you up. Right. And so you, it's it's important to have contractors that know that process, and can remove the guesswork. Because if if you're the one on the phone, talking to inspectors or at the permit office, if you don't know that you're doing it wrong, because our, our job is to go out and source more deals, raise more money. Mm. So so you're you're saying it's completely automated. You get the deal. You get the contractor, boom, they do the work. Do you ever step in? That's, 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 well, as builders, our, our job is to, is to kind of conduct the project like a symphony, right? Is to mm-hmm. bring together all the pieces. So, for instance, my job isn't to hang drywall. My job isn't to paint. Of course, no. My job yeah. isn't to pour foundation. My job <laughs> is to get contractors who are capable of it, capable of delivering it on time, on budget, and to kind of control the flow, the tempo, mm. um, and to say, hey, here's what we want to do. Here's what it should look like. And it's our job to 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 make sure we put the people in place at the right time. Okay, that's right. that's that's the thing that we do most importantly. When do you ever step in? Do you ever like oh, all, walk all into the, time. the business Dude, all the time? Okay, all the time. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, the work, the work on your business, not in your business, yeah. Sounds great on a T-shirt, but real, real, <laughs> real talk. You're, real talk. You're yeah. always in your business, um, okay. and it's you know. But listen, there, there are, you know, with it. Even when working in your business, it's ten dollar an hour jobs that you definitely shouldn't be doing, right? It's two hundred fifty thousand dollar a year jobs that you should be doing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But but ten dollar an hour stuff, you should not be. Ideally, you shouldn't be doing it. Ultimately, we do what we got to do right. when we got to do it. But when we find ourselves doing something that's just dumb, waste of time, you know, we vow like, all right, we're not doing this again. Like, Have so we'll ever, pay more. We'll pay more to not do it again because it's costing us money. Right. right. Have you ever had like an emergency call with like, hey, you need to step into the building. I got something for you to look at. Okay. All the time. All the time. Okay. All the time. Okay. All the time. So walk us through. I mean, what's your uh, daily schedule looking like at the moment? So right now with a few deals in the pipeline and a few active deals going on, it's between due diligence um, on deals that are in the pipeline or in some cases dealing with permitting, dealing with design, and then active management of the deals that are already acquired and undergoing rehab or undergoing build. Mm. I got a good question for you. Is there a certain design you like to work with just because it's easier? Um, no, I mean, I wouldn't say easier, but uh, desirable. So, mm-hmm. so here's the thing. So I always look for, okay, forget what I like. like what, okay. does the, what does the consumer buyer pull? Like. What does the consumer want? Okay. And give them exactly that. How do you figure that out? Um, knowledge of the neighborhood. 
so taking so so once you've kind of identified a, a hot neighborhood or a profitable neighborhood, mm-hmm. it's like okay, what is the end product gonna look like? Copy and paste. Yeah. What is mm-hmm. once again? Right. You could try to be the first one to build whatever, but like, why would you? One of those right. new modern homes, the box looking homes. Dude, some some neighborhoods the box works. Right. Other neighborhoods the oh. box does not work at all. You gotta, gotcha. you gotta, you gotta know your neighborhood. You gotta know what finishes your buyer pool is 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 looking for. Um, but you know, like right now, generally, man, open floor plans are selling. The farmhouse look is selling. I mean, you know, it's, okay. it's kind of, once again, copy and paste. It's like, all right, find what people want and give it to them exactly. Mm, just like that. That's it. I like that. Yep. How, how would you recommend someone starting their first uh, real estate development project? Um, so, so what I recommend is talking, so talking to a developer. Like, so talking to a developer, um, one great way. So getting like a mentor. Yeah, I mean, so so for instance, so first, before you, so you could, you could definitely get a, you could definitely get a a formal mentor. You say, hey, I want to learn the business, get a formal mentor, and be prepared to pay that person for their time, right? One of the few things, one of the few things that's kind of different about um, infill development. All the time, when 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 people bring me land, I tell them like, hey, here's everything i'm looking for mm-hmm. like 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 take notes like just specifically what what i want and that way you can bring me exactly what i want and i always offer to people and if you bring me what i want if you bring me a deal i end up buying i will glad, gladly let you peek over my shoulder in the entire process mm. because it will only make you better at bringing me what i want right um yeah. uh builders so so here's one thing so anytime you know, anytime I've I, I've got a rehab project, and you know, um, you know, and you know, we buy it in the name of an LLC, and you can easily skip trace LLCs or skip trace a resonation or whatever. You know, I'll get cold called all the time, cold called text text message, ringless voicemails, direct mail mm-hmm. about houses, right? For land, you can skip trace owners the same way. Like no nobody calls about land, so it's two things I don't have. It's for land, I generally don't have anybody marketing to me to buy the land, and also I, I don't really have wholesalers trying to sell me land. Hmm. I mean, and it's and it's super profitable, but it's just it's not on anybody's anybody's radar. And so builders, they they're underserved. They really are underserved. Like hmm. you know, you sign up on three or four wholesalers list and you'll get blasted some stuff deals some stuff not hey so i know you're enjoying this amazing podcast but before we continue i just want to give a huge shout out to PropStream. if you are an agent investor and or wholesaler you need to check out PropStream for only 97 dollars a month PropStream allows you to run comps anywhere in the united states and you can pull over 10,000 leads every single month. And not only that, but you can go ahead and look at the property history of any property. So with that being said, click my affiliate link below for a seven day free trial today. And don't forget, take action. It's not, dude, you, you, you don't get that many people like, hey, I've got land, <laughs> sign up for my buyers list. Mm-hmm. And so when 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 I talk to people that have land, even if it's not what I'm looking for, I'm like, you know, not what I'm looking for, but like here's here's 
here's the here's the the map. Here's the cheat code of what I am looking for. Mm. And I'll even say like, look, and if you find this, I'll pay X amount. Okay. You know, and so and so and that's and that's a win-win. That's a win-win for the person that brings a lot. That's a win-win for the builder. So everyone out there in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia market, if you got land, Brennan is looking for land. There's your buyer <laughs> always, right there. I mean, always, you're saying there's always a lack. looking for land. Always there's looking a for lack land, of man. land. It is. I mean, I'm sorry. There's a lack of people searching for land and then bringing it to, to builders. You, to builders. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you primarily build on info lots, correct? Correct. Correct. Uh, yep. So the thing I love about infill lots is that um, the infrastructure, you know, basic utilities we know they are already there. So if you've okay. got five houses to the right, five houses to the left, 10 houses across the street, right, that all have water, gas, and electric, what are the odds that this empty lot can't have or doesn't already have water, gas, electric? Right, right. right. So how do you choose the, the, the neighborhoods and the subdivisions that you, that you build on in? Great, great question. So I look for what I call high density, high value neighborhoods, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so for me right now, high value are neighborhoods where um, the after built value or after pair value right now is 600,000 or higher. Oh, wow. Right. Because that, you know, that allows me to absorb costs and still make profit. Right. Okay. Right. That right. absorb, that allows me to absorb an increase in lumber. That allows me to pay the, you know, permit fees and impact fees. So that allows me to build, that allows me to pay for the land, build the house, and still make a worthwhile profit, right? Just mm -hmm. larger, larger the outsell value, mm -hmm. typically larger your profit is, is going to be. Right. Um, so high value and then high, high density. So high density lends itself to high value, mm -hmm. all right? So if you, if you take an area that's already... 90% built up, right? Already 90% built up. Mm -hmm. The demand for new housing inventory is going to be super high. Mm. It's going to because it's, it's not like you can. That's the secret sauce. Right it's there. not. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's not like somebody can come in and build 30 houses. Like it's not 30 lots available. Right. Right. So yeah. that product is going to be super desirable, and also in high value neighborhoods it's got the amenities that people love it's a lot of times it's going to be close to public transit it's going to have the starbucks it's going to have the yoga studios it's going to have the restaurants people like there's going to be a walkable community and those mm -hmm. things right there make neighborhoods super value valuable make neighborhoods very desirable and those are things we look for okay so we're looking at for those that do land uh, marketing wholesaling whatever you do we're looking for Communities that are walking distance to shopping centers? To, to amenities, yeah. To amenities. And, and it doesn't always have to be walking necessarily. Walkable communities are great, but close to amenities. Okay. And um, because, you know, one of the neighborhoods uh, I build in in Prince George's County, mm -hmm. you know, Prince George's County is, is one of the most affluent African-American communities in the nation, right? Right. But for what it's worth, as affluent as, as Prince George's County is, Prince George's County only has one Whole Foods, right? And so you got to take a place, a place like Whole Foods, right? So, I never noticed that. So before the one, the, the one uh, Riverdale, right? Riverdale, right. So you got to realize, like, all right. So before Whole Foods puts a shovel in the ground, they've ran the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Right. They've run the numbers, and they're like, hey, we've decided that this place right here, 
Mm, we have looked at the, we have mm. we have looked at the demographic. We have looked at the spending power, and there this is a this is a profitable bet. So years before they ever put a shovel on the ground, they have spent six figures or more just determining that this is before we put this before we spend millions of dollars building something. Mm. This is the place where we want to be. So you can always piggyback. You can always follow the money, right? Mm. You can always follow anytime you see major retailers or anytime you see amenities you know that people are going to want somebody's already done the math e even mm -hmm. if even if the houses aren't there yet even even if the development isn't there yet somebody knows kind of the path of progress somebody's following the money and so once again yeah i mean you you could be a pioneer and be like i'm going to be the first one to build here <laughs> mm -hmm. you know or you could be like no nah, i'm not going to be a i'm going to be an early adapter but i'm not going to i'm not going to be a pioneer Right, right, you know, right. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow the money and I'm gonna take advantage of their six figures, seven figures they spend on research. I'm gonna take <laughs> yeah, advantage yeah. of that and just and just and just adapt early. And since we're talking about Whole Foods and that big giant shopping center they created right there in Riverdale, I want to ask you: Have you ever thought about moving on to uh, commercial properties? Yeah. So so great thing great thing about adding new construction to the toolkit. Is that you know, kind of a single-family detached homes is is entry-level, kind of low-hanging fruit. But mm -hmm. then you've got looking at things like townhouses, looking at things like uh, multi-units, right? Community mm -hmm. of townhouses, yeah. Townhouses, building multi-units. So right, you know, right now, and I build to sell. So right now, I build a house, sell it. I'm looking at the model of build it, keep it, and rent it. Right, right. right? It's brand new. So for the first several years. Your capital expenditure, your maintenance is going to be almost nothing. Mm -hmm. um, for multi-units, you could build, you could build a brand new building, sell it. You know, right now Wall Street is paying ridiculously low cap rates, right? So you could build something and sell it to Wall Street. You could build it, lease it up, then sell it to Wall Street or a small hedge fund or anybody who's looking for, you know, um, you know, passive investment. Right. Um, commercial mixed use so i mean once you learn a new skill set like new building the application can start out as residential but that's not limited to that's not where you got to stop at so what's your future plans at the moment uh so i mean future plans is to is to for the genius like you man i'm telling you dude i'm a, I'm a community college dropout right <laughs> a lot of credits that showed i tried but i'm still a dropout but um P pg county Oh, yeah. P PG, PG, uh, PG community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, same. Yeah, I'm not smart enough not to. <laughs> so there you go, guys. <laughs> you know, you could be a college dropout and be doing yeah. development projects. There you go. There yeah. you go. But um, nah. So so some of the future plans um in the in a new build business are to uh, take a look at things like uh, modular building because because you know right now I'm only looking primarily in high density, high value neighborhoods. So that means it's a lot of neighborhoods that just just don't check the box. They're mm -hmm. decent neighborhoods, but they're not necessarily high value. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm looking at things like modular to reduce the cost of building, reduce the time. And so that way I can look at uh, neighborhoods that aren't necessarily high value. So that kind of opens up uh, my options uh, for me, looking at uh, building, you know, going from single family homes to, to a small subdivision, you know, small townhouse subdivision. So just, just seeing yeah. where, where it takes me, but even, even within single family homes, I mean, man, there, there are more lots out there than I can ever build on. I mean, 
realistically. Right. Mm -hmm. Realistically. So, so at the moment, what does your residential development model look like as far as, okay, you buy the lot, you pull out permits, or how are the steps? So, so, so the step is first identifying the, the opportunity, right? And, okay. and so for us, that starts with having kind of a, sh a small list of neighborhoods where I'm even interested in building it, right? Because, okay. you know, in, a, in our business, business of real estate, to one extent, we're always trying to find a needle in a haystack, right? We're trying to find valuable deals with equity. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter if it's cash flow. Doesn't matter yeah. if it's a rehab deal. Doesn't matter if it's a wholesale. I like, I like the deal. way you put it. A always, always a needle in a haystack, right? Yeah. So best way, best way to find a needle in a haystack is to make the haystack smaller. Mm. Best way to do it, man. Make that haystack smaller. Okay. So it just and so once you do that, the opportunity starts to jump out. So in the neighborhoods that I buy in. I know where to market to, but if something and if a lot hits the market, I, I already know. I already know how much right. I want to pay for it. Like I, I already know. It's not no like let me think about it. It's let like, me no. do the math. No, yeah, boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. So if it's if it's an on market deal, it's like firing off an offer within a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, and and knowing your number, not like man, maybe I should pay this. Nah, this is the number I'm comfortable at going at. Mm -hmm. This is my highest and best. Okay. I'm gonna leave it on the table. This is it. That's it. This is, okay. And so that I mean that that's number one. So so just knowing finding so 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 knowing knowing where, and then once you get that offer accepted, whether it's on market or off market, mm -hmm. you get to work on your due diligence. And okay. your due diligence involves number one, making sure the lot is built right, because mm -hmm. these are these are patches of dirt, right? Mm -hmm. They can be super valuable if you can build on it. If you can't build on it, they're worthless. Mm. Matter of fact, if you can't build on it, they're worse than worthless, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're stuck with it, right? All right, you're stuck with it. And typically, if one builder sees another builder selling, they already know like, you're in trouble, aren't you? <laughs> right. So, 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 so you gotta. So you always spend money on due diligence. You know, sometimes you spend money on due diligence, and the answer is no. You can't build on it or no, you can't do what you want to do. But better to spend a couple of thousand dollars on due diligence than spend six figures on a worthless piece of dirt. Mm -hmm. So always do due diligence. Um, What's your due diligence look like besides, so due besides looking at so sur you know? So surveying. So surveying to make survey. sure that it is, okay. in fact, uh, it is, in fact, buildable. We're going to do soil tests to make sure that. Um, the perk test. Yeah. Well, not, not perk because in, it, in an infill area. We're, we've oh, already got yeah, we've already right. got utilities there. Uh, soil tests, uh, number one. So in a high density urban area, mm -hmm. and they're usually older established neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Sixty years ago, could have been a a, a tire shop there. Sixty mm -hmm. years ago, it it, it could have been like some some small commercial mm -hmm. thing, and so they might have demolished it before and, it was even a community. Right. Well, while it was a community, I mean, you know, 60, 70 years ago, zoning was crazy. Like, right. so you could have, you know, residential mixed with, you know, a, a garage here. I mean, so, yeah. so uh, one house we bought, uh, one lot we bought um, in the city of Mount Rainier. Okay. Um, we didn't know it at the time, but there had been a house there that burnt, that caught on fire and they demolished the house, right? Okay. Doing our, our soil test, it were you know, uh, the test re revealed that there was some debris in the ground. And we found out once we started excavation that whoever did the demolition of the house, you know, they're supposed to have hauled away everything. 
and they got to some point demolition and it was like yeah forget this you know like we're going you know who, like the city or county is probably paying us to demo the house mm -hmm. and haul it all away but we're going to haul away some of it the rest of it we're going to push into a hole and backfill oh. and so a soil, a soil okay. test can kind of help you identify like hey man you've got debris there it could be serious where you've got contaminants there you've got mm. industrial contaminants there and also but but most importantly the soil test lets us know that um if this lot is compatible with whatever foundation type we're going to do kind of lets us know does it have a high water table or whatever i'm sorry i'm lost right there <laughs> so, so it's like it so depends instance, on the, the the right so so if 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 you've got a lot that has a high water table like a lot to just maintains a lot of water on a lot yeah it can be like hey you know you're gonna you're gonna do a house with a basement like just to let you know like heads up you might run oh, into some okay you might run into some water management issues mm. it's like so, so it lets you know like like be be, be aware mm -hmm. uh, nice okay that's a good oh. way to put it so if that's the case you would just build a one level yeah i mean so some, no some yeah so, so, sometimes it just sometimes it just impacts so it may impact um how how deep you need to go down so that you don't have foundation settling. Um, but it, it's, it's designed to kind of give you an idea like, okay, what I want to do, you know, can I do it? And what issues might I run into and how to address those? Right. So it gives you some, it gives you some insight, you know, so that you're not caught off guard, mm -hmm. right? So that you know that, okay, you know that this house I'm doing, right. okay, I've got to do a great job of waterproofing the basement. Right, right. Good uh, pointers so, there. So after your due diligence, what's and, the next step? And so kind of, runs concurrently with due diligence is design okay. so you want to start getting a con so for instance knowing that you can build on a lot is cool mm -hmm. but can you build what's desired right mm. if if people are looking for a three thousand square foot house that looks like whatever mm -hmm. can you do it right or does is the lot size saying nope most you can do is 1500 square feet mm -hmm. you might be like okay you might i can build but i can't right. build something that's gonna be profitable right or not that you know or maybe the amount i'm buying a lot on makes money if i can build a 3,000 square foot house if it's only 2,000 square feet i can't pay that price for the lot so that design is, is is super important because it lets you know that once again i've already identified going into these neighborhoods we already know what people want mm -hmm. so i got to be sure i can give it to them if i can't give it to them I mean, you know, that, that's important. Mm -hmm. That's important. That may be, a, for me, that may be a deal breaker. I'm mm -hmm. like, I can't give people what they want because I don't want to spend all that time doing something that people just aren't going to want, that there's not going to be a demand for. Right. So the restrictions in the subdivision. Yep. Okay. And, and, we, and a lot of times, you know, we use, we use that, you know, on uh, one difference between, let's say, putting a house under contract and putting land under contract. With land, sometimes we have to close very fast. I'm, I'm sorry, with houses, sometimes we have to close fast. Mm -hmm. Typically within 30 days, sometimes within two weeks. Like, early, like late last year, it was a house I looked at on December 11th and got the price I wanted because I told the seller I'd close before Christmas. Mm -hmm. So I had to move very fast. That was mm -hmm. a house to be competitive. On land... Typically, due diligence is about 30 days to 45 days, and sometimes closing yeah. is like a 60-day close. Right. And we'll use, so we'll use that due diligence period to do as much as we can. Mm -hmm. That way, when we finally do close on it, 
you know, we've already got some things in work in motions. Right. Um, but after we do due diligence design, uh, then we go to the permitting phase. So we take all of that stuff. You know, you have your architect work on design, uh, surveyors, engineers to, you know, lay out what the house looks like, handle any other lot engineering issues. And then you shoot it off to the city or county mm -hmm. for approval. And that's kind of a, you know, that's kind of where you, where you wait, right? Typically right. permitted. That entire process while the... Uh Properties under property contract. We're, we're, tip, we're yeah. typically doing permits. We're typically doing going doing the permitting process after we've already closed on it. Oh, okay. Right. Design can take you better part of a month, right? Okay. So that's the concept of what you want. Usually, you'll go through a couple of revisions with the architect, and then after it goes off to permitting, which can typically be three month period, give or take. Oh, wow. Um, even within that, you'll have more revisions. So sometimes the city or county will be like, oh, change this, change that, uh, do this differently. Mm -hmm. And you'll have to, you know, sometimes there are revisions that don't impact the house at all. You know, sometimes they're like, hey, county saying you need to change this or reduce this. And it will kind of impact design of the house and you need to make some decisions. Right. Can you right. give us an example of some stuff that you had to reduce? Um, we haven't now, so, f well, we haven't had to reduce size of a property yet. We are going through revisions right now on a property and we're, uh, waiting for our surveyor and architect to kind of interpret what the city is asking us to change. Um, but, uh, some of the things we have to change with, uh, with, uh, with architects, um, there was a property we bought that came with plans, um, the plans that were already out there, I mean, they were, the house is kind of overbuilt, right? And the house is overbuilt um, because, you know, the, the person that sold a lot, which was a builder, they felt to get four bedrooms out of the house, they needed to do an additional level. So third level at a thousand square feet, it was overbuilt. And mm -hmm. we just kind of looked at it and be like, this ain't the best use of space. And so we we're able to accomplish the same thing in a smaller house. So, I mean, so building a thousand square feet less, that saves us money all day long. That's okay. I mean, that saves us money all day long. So being able to accomplish the same thing in 3000 square feet as opposed to 4000 square feet. Mm -hmm. But it, it was, right. but it was just knowing it was, you know, it was kind of knowing like, like out of 3000 square feet, you know, like we've built a couple of houses, we've rehabbed a few houses. Like, you shouldn't need this amount of space to fit four bedrooms. Mm. Like, you should be able to do it pretty easily. And so sometimes it's letting the architect know. And sometimes it's like, hey, telling the architect, hey, how can we do this instead? Other times it's telling the architect, like, look, I need a fourth bedroom. Or I need, I need you know, I need, I need a master bathroom. I need a walk-in closet. Like, I don't know how we'll do it, but I need you to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Other times it's telling them, like, hey the closet should go here so you know yeah. okay so after you do the permitting what's next so after you get permitting break ground get to, get to building get <laughs> to get to get get to building yep so so you start your um you know you've got site work you've got to do just getting the site ready um then you're pouring foundation next thing you know you're framing um You've got to do some infrastructure stuff, so get some of your, your plumbing, your initial plumbing in, your initial electric in, um, after you've framed up the house. So it's plumbing before the... Um, 
So you got, so, so even doing foundation, doing a foundation, you've got what's called the groundwork. It's the rough plumbing, right? It's the plumbing that's going to come into the house. Okay. And you do that, you do that pretty early on in the process. Um, there's other utility work that you do before you ever build anything. Mm. So like temporary electric, you do that before, ideally you do that before you ever build anything. So like some of these, uh, some of the applications for new service with gas company, electric company, mm. water company, that's take months. Mm. So you have to start that process sometimes as soon as you put it under contract. Because what happens is if they're not done in time, mm -hmm. they can be a bottleneck, right? You mm -hmm. can get to a point where you're ready to be finished or you're ready to move forward and you can't until, you know, one of those utilities is installed and ready to go. Mm. Um, but after we do uh, framing, uh, that's the... That's the part of the project where a new build starts to become almost like doing another rehab, right? Mm -hmm. it's, that's, that's when the house starts to, start to take shape, right? The framing is the, is the skeleton of, of the house. Um, you get the property, what we call under roof. So that's you get exterior sheathing up, windows and doors and a roof on. And once you're under roof, you're weather tight, you start doing your roughing. You know, so where the framing is like the skeleton of a house, um, your, your, your rough-ins, your plumbing, your uh, mechanicals, your, your electric, that's, you know, you know, that's kind of like the nervous system in the house, right? That's mm -hmm. super important stuff that you got to have in the house. You start to run that. You start to run that throughout the house. Then you're going to do um, insulation. Then you're going to close those walls up. And from that point, it's a race to the finish line. At that point, you put in all the pretty stuff. Like up until that point, you built, you've done stuff that's super important mm -hmm. that nobody's going to appreciate, right? Buyers, buyers don't go and say, hey, look at that foundation. Hey, look at that framing. Right. Right? Now, if it's done wrong, you won't sell a house. If it's done wrong, it'll cause you a bunch of headaches. But nobody appreciates what's behind the wall, mm. right? Got to mm. be done right. Spend a lot of money doing it, but nobody appreciates, appreciates it. But the finishes, you know, your flooring, your trim, your interior doors, your light fixtures, your, your, your vanities, your cabinets. That's the, you know, that's, that's the stuff that, that sells the property, right? right that's right, the right. stuff that makes people see it on Redfin or see it on, on, online mm -hmm. and tell the agent, I want to see this house right now. And we've been to one of your properties out there in Mount Rainier. Amazing job. Beautiful you know, finishes, man. man. <laughs> no, man, we, we try, man. We Art, try. You're artistic. That's what it is. We try. But, I mean, it's, it's giving people what they want. It's, right. It's, 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 it's really like, all right, what do, you, what do people want? And giving you know to what? them. Exactly. We're going to add some pictures for you guys mm -hmm. right, right now so you guys can see. Some of the um, projects he's done. Beautiful projects. So let's hop into uh, the Instagram questionnaire. We, we put up a post, like we said in the beginning, we're going to go over the, the questions that you guys had for him. We put up a questionnaire on Instagram. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> I did, I did. Some, some great questions, man. Mm -hmm. Some great questions. So I want to ask you those questions because uh, a lot of people had some great questions. They wanted to ask some questions. And um, so I'll start off with the ones. We chose a few. We had a lot, but we chose a few ones. So I think we answered a lot and just in the beginning. So I didn't put those up, so don't feel any type of way if I didn't, you know, put it here. But, um, yeah, so let's start off with the first one. Uh, the first question is asked by King Jaime, REI. Um, he asked, what is the process when presenting the project to raise capital? So first thing is, once again, starting out with that pro forma or that profit projection, right? Because the numbers, I mean, I don't care if you're trying to sell it to your partners, um, a hard money lender, a 
bank, a private investor, the numbers, right? I mean, you can say, hey, I got a great feeling about this project, blah, blah, I love the neighborhood, it's great. Cool, show me the numbers, right? Show me the data. Mm-hmm. Show me, you know, show me down to the bottom line. How much should this project make? That's, I mean, that's, and that's, and, and even, even if you got cash, let's say you've got cash, let's say you're not trying to raise any outside capital, make that as one of the things that you do on every deal. Because that way, when you do have to start, let's say you do start looking for outside capital or partners, once you've, once you're used to doing it already, when you need to do it, it's not a big deal, mm-hmm. you know? So, so, so to me, once again, that's one of the most important things to me. That's, I see stuff, I'm like, okay, it's all right. Does, do the numbers check out? There are some deals that on paper they look kind of good, but once you run the numbers, you're like, eh, not, not so good anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I'll, I'll get this. <laughs> so, Edward A. Vargas, his question Ed. is, Ed does some great work, man. Yeah, okay. he's uh, a fix yeah. and flipper in yeah, the yeah. area for the people that don't know. Absolutely. On the first few, would you build on undeveloped land or on a teardown property? Um, everything I've done so far has been on undeveloped land. Well, and let's say vacant land. All right, because in some cases, before I bought it, there was a house there. It's not there anymore. But a vacant lot. Um, I would do a teardown all day long as long as the numbers made sense. And unfortunately for me, a lot of times the economics of a teardown doesn't work. Because here's the deal. Like right now where we are in the real estate market with how hot it is, somebody will take a property that needs to be torn down. Mm -hmm. And in their mind, even when they're selling at a discount, they're asking for too much. Mm -hmm. I I mean, think about how, think about, Okay, you're going to buy a house that somebody thinks you're going to fix up, but you're going to tear it down. Right. Right. And so a lot of times what they may be asking for just doesn't doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. But I would. I mean, I'm not against it. I'm not against it at, at all. At all. It just there's depends pro- on the deal. Just depends on the deal. I mean, there's a there's a project I'm working on now and, and the uh, architect was like, yeah, you guys should just tear it down. I'm like, dude, we didn't pay tear down money. <laughs> like, yeah, you didn't pay tear down money. So mm. we're not tearing it down. We're going to do extensive <laughs> rehab. But, you know. Yeah, and that's, I mean, but I don't care. All day long, I, I do it yeah, all day long. Depends yeah. on the deal. Yeah. So, Landlord J on Instagram wants to know, what's the market forecast on residential new builds? I mean, the foreseeable is that it's going to continue to be hot. I mean, and, and I, I don't got a crystal ball. Um, mm-hmm. we've, been, we've been on a pretty long run, right? So, real estate is, you know, cyclical. I mean, we've been, I mean, we've been on, on a decade plus long run. Um, right now, money is super cheap. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's, you know, the, 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 the short-term forecast is, is good. Um, I think, um, here's the thing I think. I think with, with COVID, you know, with the worldwide pandemic we had, it kind of changed the rules on what may have happened. So let's mm-hmm. say COVID would have never happened, right? Maybe by now the economy would have been um, starting to contract. But because COVID hit and all of a sudden we had a bunch, you know, worldwide, we had stimulus money, kind of artificial propping of the market happen. It may have delayed what was due to happen. Mm-hmm. Don't have a crystal ball and, and we won't know. But right yeah. now with money being so cheap, 
um, consumer confidence being high, the market is still high. What'll happen is, um, you know, with unemployment running out, what'll happen? Who knows? Were you in Were you in business during two thousand eight crash? Absolutely. And were you doing new bills at the moment? No. Were you doing no. I was doing so in 08, 08, I was doing wholesales. Oh. Okay. Started getting back into rehabs. I think 2009, 2010. Okay. So you haven't had, you weren't doing any fix and flips during 2008? Nope. Okay. Nope. So if the market was to crash, I think, you know, I think you wanted to know maybe when, if the market does crash, where do you see new builds going? Um, so new, new, new builds will, will still sell. Um, what we saw last time was big builders did whatever necessary price cuts they needed to be. So here's the deal. If you were a small builder and you had a product that put you in direct competition for big builder, you got killed. Because mm. big builders were like, hey, if we need to slash the price by 50000 slash the <laughs> price by 50000 If we need to give you a free finished basement, we'll give you a free finished basement, right? Mm. Small builder couldn't do that. Mm. Small builder's like, nah, my, <laughs> I paid X amount for this dirt based on me selling it for X amount. I can't knock 50,000 off of that. I can't just, I can't just do that. Um, and so that's one thing I like about infill development. It doesn't place me, there are, there are no big builders, mm -hmm. right? A big builder can go to a place that's 90% built up and build. It's not enough for them, right? They need economies of scale. Mm -hmm. So they, so a big builder wouldn't even look at, let's say there's a neighborhood where you could build 10 houses, a big mm -hmm. builder would like, not worth our time a day. Here we got all these resources. We got um, project managers that drive around, you know, with company polos on and trucks. Yeah. Like we need to unleash them on big projects. We can't unleash them on ten houses. Like their mm -hmm. salaries alone would make it not profitable. Right, right. So that's one. That's one reason I love Enfield is I don't have to compete with big builders. So regardless of what big builders are doing, I've got a product that's that's super scarce already. So not saying nothing will happen, but number one, I'm liking neighborhoods that seem like they're well insulated already. I'm liking neighborhoods that are less susceptible to kind of what the economy may, may be doing. And I'm, so I'm super intentional about the neighborhoods I, I go after. Um, and also um, in, in my business, whether new build rehabs, I, I want to have a pipeline, right? So I want to have ideally stuff going out the pipeline where other stuff is coming in, right? Right. As opposed to a warehouse. A warehouse is like, okay, drop 20 new projects in at the same time, and they're all in the same stage. That's a cash flow nightmare. I like the pipeline. I'm like, okay, this is coming out while this is going in. That's right. ideal. Yeah. And so, like I say, there, there, are more, there are more lots out there, more rehabs out there than I can ever take on at one time because right. I want... Because I want that pipeline. I don't want a warehouse. So you mm -hmm. have a whole... Ideally. Okay. So, sometimes the pipeline gets, gets jammed up with delays, <laughs> but ideally, yeah. ideally... It's working just like, like, ide yeah, like a that's, factory. That's just... what we're trying to... That's what I'm always trying to move towards. Absolutely. Like a belt line. Yeah, you got Absolutely. Okay. All right. So to end this off, this concludes the podcast. But before we, before we go, um, this is an entrepreneur podcast for all entrepreneurs in every industry. What's some motivation, some word of advice that you can give to the entrepreneurs that are watching this, aspiring entrepreneurs, anybody trying to start off, um, or just entrepreneurs that are already in business at the moment? What's some motivation that you can end this off with? 
Um, I mean, you know, and nothing, you know, look, look, I'm a, I'm a community college dropout, man. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I, maybe it's the glasses. People think I'm way smarter than I actually am. Um, <laughs> but the advice I always tell people is, um, so in this, in this business or any other business, uh, you don't make money because you want to. Like, everybody wants to make money. Everybody right. in the world wants to make money, right? Regardless of why you want to make it, everybody wants to make money, right? right? So if wanting to make money was all it took to make money, nobody would be poor, mm-hmm. um, making less than they need to, right? right. So, so you wanting to make it, that's cool, right? But you, you, your ability to make money is directly tied to your ability to add value. Right. Mm. And to add value, I mean, go go looking for problems mm-hmm. like go. So in a real estate business, we're problem solvers. Right. 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 So whether we're we're you know, if we're if we're a landlord, you know, we're fine. We're fulfilling a need for housing. Right. Right. If we're a wholesaler, we're finding a seller that has a problem property and matching up with a buyer that has a need for that property. Mm-hmm. As a builder, you know, we're looking at areas where there isn't enough existing inventory, mm-hmm. but there is available land that we can refine, right. you know? And so ultimately your, your ability to be successful in business ties to your ability to solve problems. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be some big problems. It's going to be some small problems. And every time you run into a problem, I mean, problems suck. But you got to be like, all right, probably not first time and not going to be the last time I see this problem. Let me find a way to, to deal with it or find somebody else to deal with it. And and that's kind of your, your key to adding value. And then that's mm-hmm. how you, that's generally how you The key make to entrepreneur, entrepreneurship is to keep on going. There's going to be hurdles, but you keep on jumping those hurdles. Find a way to jump that hurdle. Whatever you got to do, keep going. F- find a way to jump the hurdle faster and better than anybody else. Ooh, I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Vernon. For Vernon, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thanks, sorry. Thanks. <laughs> Listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> as long as the wire or the check clears. <laughs> uh, but no, nah, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. I, yeah. I, I, I appreciate the invite, man. I'm happy, happy to be here. Thank you for thank sharing you so your wisdom. Thank you for everything you have told us. Um, and before you go... Um, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Vern Vaughn One, V E R N V A U G H A N, the number one. Uh, Facebook and and IG, man. Yep, we'll uh, definitely but, have the tag right there. <laughs> okay. So before we go, guys, just remember, keep taking action. <laughs> <laughs>